Amen. Again, this morning, let me invite your attention to James chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 1 together today. Have you thought it through? It's a blessing also, right before you get ready to preach, to have one of the worship team members say, let me just pray with you for a moment. What a blessing that is. Uh, just to hear your name called up that the Lord had used the preaching and teaching of his word uh, this morning. As I think about life, there are some things in life that are possible and there are many things in life that are promised. For example, if you take certain medications, some things are possible. You're, you're, you're possible you may have some side effects. For example, if you take medication, you might get blurred vision. If you take medication, you might gain weight. If you take some medication, you might have an upset stomach. If you might, if you take medication, you might die. And then if you take certain medications, it's possible you might even get better. And you just watch those TV ads and you see all the side effects to medication. Many, many things are possible. There are other things that are promised. For example, if you live financially irresponsible, meaning you make this much, but you spend way more than you make, I promise you that you're going to have financial issues in your life, your marriage, or your family. It's going to happen. As we come today to James chapter 3, James makes a very clear statement. He says in this passage, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. So he's writing a promise here to say, Not many of you should become teachers. It's not something you should seek in that sense. And then he says, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He's not saying this is possible. He's saying this is promised. Now as I think about life, and I think about many things in life, even vocations, what are some of the most difficult vocations in life? And there would be many, I would say. For example, I appreciate the men and women who serve our country in the military. Very dangerous. I thank God for you, the way you protect our country day in and day out. So thank the Lord for you and your family members. I also realize those who are first responders, you serve a very dangerous role in life. As we run from situations, you run to situations. And so today I thank God for you and for what you do to protect us so that we can do what we do day in and day out in life. I think about healthcare workers. Day in and day out, they're around disease and illness and sickness. And just how dangerous that is at times for them and even for their loved ones, the way they care for people and make sure their health care needs are being met. Then I think about school teachers. I mean, what a dangerous profession to have in life is to be a school teacher. Very rewarding, but it still is dangerous to be able to teach even in our schools in our day. And then I think about a country song, uh, Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings one time. Uh, you didn't think you'd get this on a Sunday morning. Uh, but, but came out with that song, What Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys. Uh, many of you could probably sing that song. I'd probably say today, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up And Watch Kentucky Basketball. Uh, you very well might get disappointed over that. Need counseling as a result of that. Hope is in Jesus, not in a basketball team. But James would say this, mamas don't let your babies grow up and be teachers. As he said very clearly, not many of you should become teachers. Because why? Because the judgment is going to be stricter. And so as I thought about that this week, again, I am thankful to be able to preach and teach God's word. I love to do so with exposition through verse after verse. And then we come to James chapter 3, verse 1, and I think about, it was an emotional week for me in some ways because I went back and said, God, when you called me to teach and to preach the word, what was that like for me in those days? 
Uh, look at this first picture I've got. I've got a couple of pictures I want you to see. Uh, this picture here is the church I grew up in. It's a rural Kentucky Baptist church. The room that's on the corner, the left corner there, was the room where I first taught my first lesson from God's Word. I still remember there were eight people in the room. I still remember walking in that Sunday morning to teach the lesson. Sort of got tricked into teaching that lesson. But, but anyway, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But I remember walking into that room with a high level of responsibility. I'm going to stand before a group of adults, one of those being my mother, and I'm going to teach God's Word to these people. High level of responsibility. Second picture is where I preached my first sermon at, Calvary Baptist Church in Glasgow. Preached on April the 23rd, 1989. Preached from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And a high level of responsibility to stand before those people at that church and to be able to preach and teach the Word of God. Significant responsibility. As I think about doing that, uh, it's a high responsibility. What a privilege to preach and teach God's Word. What a high level of responsibility that is. And those are the things that will keep you up at night, by the way, as well. Because you have to realize when you're teaching the Word of God, what James said, those of us who teach are going to be judged with greater strictness. But also you have to realize, those of us who preach and teach, like what we're doing today, what we're doing right now in this moment in just a matter of days can literally be seen by people all over the world. Now get your mind around that for a while. What is happening in this moment because of what happens with the World Wide Web can be seen literally in nations around the world. And then we come to what James is saying here about teaching and even about preaching. Well, I'm going to give you some insights here for a moment, not on the outline, because these are just some things the Lord's been doing in my life over the last number of days as I was walking through this text. And I want to give you seven statements. Again, they're not on the outline, so you're not going to be able to fill in the blanks on these. But I want to give you some insights here about those who teach those of us who preach God's word, what are some characteristics that should be there and that we're going to walk through uh, the outline together here in a moment? Number one is a saved soul. If you're going to preach and teach God's word, you need to be saved. You need to know Christ. And so before you ever stand before a group of people, before you ever open a Bible and you try to give some kind of Bible lesson or sermon, you need to make sure that you know Jesus in your life. When did you come to Christ in your life? I look at my life, and again, I thank God as a young boy sitting on our basement steps. The Lord Jesus saved me. I shared that with people, followed him in believer's baptism, and then later started growing in my relationship to Christ. And then God started opening doors, showing me, here's my plan, purpose, direction for your life. But I'm grateful that I'm saved. And I want to say to those in the room and those who are watching, if you're not saved, Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Jesus Christ left heaven, born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect sinless life, died on an old rugged cross and gave his life for you and me, was buried in a tomb, but gloriously on the third day the stone was rolled away, tomb was empty, Jesus Christ is alive, one day he's coming again. We don't have to wait to Resurrection Sunday to celebrate the resurrection because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for us because Jesus is alive. And so as you teach God's Word, just make sure you have a saved soul. Jesus is your Savior. He's the Lord of your life. Second thing I'd say is a personal call. As you think about teaching, whether it's vocationally or even lay, make sure you're called of God to do that. 
Because God is calling us. It's not just something we should pursue. It's something that God is leading us to do and calling us to do. You may teach preschoolers, kids, students, adults, whatever it may be. Just sense the call of God to do that. Even before I was in pastoral ministry, I just sensed God was calling me to teach his word. There's value in a call. We're going to talk more about the call in just a moment. Number three is a teachable spirit. If you're going to be an effective teacher of God's Word, you need a teachable spirit. Why? Because you need God to teach you first. God, what do you want to show me through this passage, through this book, through these verses, so I can teach it to somebody else? Never get over a teachable spirit. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, still had a teachable spirit, desiring to know more of God's Word. Make sure when you teach, again, whether it's vocationally or in a lay position, make sure you have a teachable spirit. God, teach me first so I can teach others your Word. And God, if it steps on anybody's toes first, let it step on mine before someone else's. Make sure you have a teachable spirit. Number four is a prayerful life. I just encourage you, make sure that you pray. you seeking the leadership and the wisdom of God. You want to rightly divide the word of truth. That comes out of a devotion to pray. But also make sure you're praying for people who are going to be listening to you. What's going on in their lives? in their personal lives, marriages, families, that you want God to use you to speak a word of truth into their lives. That comes out of a prayerful life. Just say, God, I want the word to bear fruit in the lives of people. So make sure you pray way before you ever preach or teach God's word. Let me give you another one. Number five is a holy fear. And when I say fear, I'm not talking about being afraid. I'm talking about when you come to teach and preach God's word, you stand in awe and reverence of him for his greatness. You stand before him realizing John 15 to say, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. But Lord, with you, I can do all things. And so you come to that place and say, God, everything of my life is dependent upon you. I could never do this on my own. So God, I am totally trustworthy and dependent upon you that you would use me today to speak through your word, which is living and active. It's just this holy fear. God, I'm in awe and reverence that you would even allow me and call me to do this. Overwhelming. Number six. A prepared delivery. Make sure that you're prepared when you stand before a group of people. You're sharing the word of God. You're teaching someone in a small group setting like this. Whatever. Make sure you're prepared to deliver the word of God. That just comes in your private time with him. So much of what we do when it comes to teaching and preaching God's word is not done in public. It's done in private. What do you do when you're alone with the Lord? What do you do with your Bible when it's just you and the Lord? And what do you do when you're asking God to speak into your life? So, sure, public is standing before people, but what's happening in private that's getting you prepared so you can deliver the Word of God to people who are going to be listening to you? And then let me give you number seven. is a devoted life. Make sure, as you're a teacher, a preacher of God's Word, make sure you are living out what you're teaching. Because other people are going to watch your life, and we'll talk about that in a moment too. Other people are watching. Sometimes what we teach is louder by the way we live than sometimes even our words. Because they watch us living out not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. They watch us living out the word of God. Make sure again, you live a devoted life. You're practicing what you're teaching. And what I mean by that, if you're teaching them how to do evangelism, make sure you're sharing the gospel with people. 
If you're talking about forgiveness and how people have wronged you, make sure you're modeling forgiveness to those whom you're teaching. You're talking about disciple making, make sure you're being discipled, but make sure you're discipling other people. You're living out what you're teaching, what God's doing in and through your life. Those things are essential when it comes to teaching. Now, look at the outline. Number one is a concern of teaching. And James here, going back to James chapter 3, he says very clearly, not many of you. He's talking to the church, the gathering of God's people. He said, not many of you should, should become teachers, my brothers. He's not speaking to people who are lost. He's speaking to people who are saved. He's speaking to people who are part of the family of God. And he's just saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He's giving them a warning when there's a concern of teaching. It's a warning to say there's going to be a stricter judgment for you. Warnings are important. If there's a tornado coming, we need to be warned. If there's some kind of a fire situation, we need to be warned. If there's some kind of active situation, even in a church facility, we need to be warned of that. So James is giving them a warning to say, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Now he goes on to say, just because... Uh, you know Christ just because you love the Lord Jesus and just because you attend church doesn't always mean that you should be a teacher Uh, because he's given them concern because unbiblical teaching could do great damage in the fellowship of the church not everyone is called to be a teacher why because the standards are higher there's going to be a greater judgment and so James is seeking to protect the church that's why he's giving them this concern about teaching Now, let me give you these fill-in-the-blanks here for you. As you think about those, uh, sometimes who maybe would want to be teachers, but you say, well, we're just not going to put this person in a teaching capacity in a position at this point. Why would we say no to somebody or even give a little bit of hesitation to somebody in teaching? Let me give you these. Here's why I've seen in my own life in ministry over the years. Number one, not qualified. Uh, Everyone who, again, who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and attends church is not always qualified to be a teacher of God's Word. Maybe the person is a new believer in Christ and he or she just not ready to teach the truths of God's Word, standing for a group of people. Sometimes it doesn't mean they're not going to be qualified, but at the moment you would not put that person in a position of teaching, of leadership, because the qualifications just aren't there at that time. Oh, there was a period in my life I had no business standing before a group of people teaching anything like that. I just wasn't spiritually qualified. And there's a process of development, discipleship that happens. But one of the reasons you would not put someone in a position is the person just isn't qualified at the time. Number two, not acquainted. When I say that, you just don't know enough about the person. You've got somebody who's interested in teaching. Every church I pastored have had this time window to say, if you're a new member in our church, we want it to be six months or a year that we want to get to know you, get to know what you believe, get to know how you live out God's word. You're just not acquainted enough with the person to say, now's the time to be in a teaching position. That will come over time, but sometimes you're going to say no to a person just because you're not acquainted with him or her at the moment. Doesn't mean you're not going to be, It's just at the moment you would say no to that. Number three, not faithful. Sometimes you're not going to put somebody in a position of leadership and teaching because the person just isn't faithful. I've worked with so many nominating committees in my years of ministry, and here's what I've often heard from nominating committees. They'll say, well, I realize he or she's not faithful right now, but if we'll put them in this position of leadership, then he or she's going to be faithful. That is the wrong approach, by the way. 
Because you want somebody who's in those positions of leadership, specifically teaching, preaching. You want somebody who's faithful already, not that they will be. So sometimes you're going to say no to a person because he or she just isn't faithful. It's like somebody says, I want to go to Africa and share the gospel. And then you say, well, how are you sharing the gospel in your neighborhood at home? Well, I'm not doing that. Well, why would you want to go to Africa and do that when you're not doing it here? Practice at home, then go to the nations to do that. And so sometimes we'd say no because we're just not seeing faithfulness in that person's life. Number four, just not aware. Uh, You're dating with somebody who wants to be a teacher, but they're not aware of the responsibilities of teaching. Sure, there's an opportunity to stand before a group of people, open a Bible, give some insight to that, some applications, some illustrations to that. But what about the person, is he or she aware of the responsibilities of teaching week in and week out? All the preparation that needs to happen. All the care that needs to happen for those in the class or congregation. Uh, what about all the, all the needs in the lives of people that you need to deal with and how you need to pray for those people? Sometimes they want to teach. They're just not aware of the responsibilities, nor are they aware the judgment is going to be greater for those who stand or sit and teach and preach the Word of God. There's the concern of teaching, and James is communicating to say this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Why? He's concerned that they would not put people in a position who did not need to be there. Leadership teacher selection matters in the fellowship of a church. Number two, the call of teaching. James goes back here, and he looks at this, and he says the call of teaching, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Notice the pronouns. He's saying we, James is considering himself, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. What does he mean? God has called me to be a preacher, teacher of his word. Nick Ripkin, somebody of you may have read his book, uh, The Insanity of God. Dear friends to Angie and me, him and his wife. And I remember him serving overseas in a place in Africa that was severely persecuted, a very difficult place. And Nick would look at people and say this, if you're not called of God, you're never going to survive in this place. That is true when it comes to preaching and teaching. You need to make sure you're called of God to be able to do that. What James is going to say, one, there's seriousness when it comes to teach. You need to make sure you realize how serious this is before God also for people. Doesn't mean you can't have a sense of humor. Doesn't mean there's not going to be laughter. But what you're doing, you're opening the word of God and teaching people. You're dealing with the souls of people for all eternity. There's seriousness in that. And again, doesn't mean you don't have a great sense of humor as you deliver and share the Word of God, but there's seriousness in that. But also the subject matter, you're not teaching anything you just want to teach. You're teaching and preaching the Word of God. This living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You're not entertaining people, you're instructing people. You're challenging people to hear the Word and to do the Word. You're teaching the Word of God to people. So there's seriousness, but there's the subject of that. And what I would go along to say is this. When I think about the call of God on my life, again, many, many years ago, I've been in ministry 33 years. And when I think about what God was doing in my life during those days, it was the call of God on my life to be able to do that. Had no desire on my own to ever preach and teach the Word of God. No one in my family had ever been a preacher or teacher of the Word of God. It was a call of God on my life. I realized the seriousness of it, and I realized the subject of it. I still remember walking in to that class on that Sunday morning, eight people, my mom sitting in the room. And again, I sort of got tricked into it. 
Uh, the teacher, her name was Bessie Jewell. She's with the Lord now. She was going to be away, and she says, I'd like you to fill in for me on a particular Sunday. And I took that call seriously, and I agreed to do so. Group of adults. As Ange and I were reflecting on this, even this week one night, I was talking about, let's go back and remember that class. That Sunday morning, eight people sitting in the room. There was a husband and wife who was in the room over to my right. She took her life during that time. So I had to provide pastoral care and minister to that couple. There was a Carrollton bus crash happened during that time in the state of Kentucky. We were ministering through that situation as well. All these issues were coming up, teaching but also caring for people. And then she gave me that opportunity to say, I want you to fill in for me. So I filled in that Sunday. Then she called me during the week and she said, hey, just so you'll know, the class wants you to continue to do this because I'm resigning from teaching the class. I think I've been set up for this situation. And so here's how amazing God works. God used that teaching opportunity to prepare me to begin the preaching, teaching his word in congregations. God always leads and provides at the right time in the right way. And so here's what happened though in my life. It was eight people in that corner room. I would walk in there on Sunday mornings, eight people. We grew, we reached some more people. But I walked in prepared like there were 5,000 people in that room. I knew it was serious, I knew the subject, and I want to be faithful to deliver and teach the Word of God. The call of God in your life, what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to teach in this church? How is God calling you even in the ministry? God is still calling boys and girls, men and women in the ministry. Maybe it's a lay capacity, maybe it's a vocational capacity, still calling people to teach. How is God calling you? Let me go through these words with you. If you're going to understand the call to teach, these things ought to be a part of your life. Number one is devotion. Uh, your devotion to Christ should be first and foremost. If you're going to teach others, then how's he teaching you? How are you growing in your own walk, in your own relationship with him? Make sure that you're growing, you're being fed, you're hearing from God, your spirit is growing closer and closer to him, your mind is growing as well, but also your heart is growing. Make sure you're, there's a devotion to Christ in your life. Word number two is discipline. You've got to be disciplined to prepare. You can't walk into a class unprepared. You can't stand before a congregation unprepared. Here's the truth of the matter. If you walk in and you're unprepared or I stand here and I'm unprepared, you're not going to have to tell a single person. They're going to know that. They're going to be able to know to say, he or she didn't pray as much this week, didn't prepare as much this week. You can tell it in your delivery, even in the content. But you've got to have discipline to say, Lord, I want to make sure I am prepared when I stand before these group of people to preach and teach your word to people. Number three is discernment. Uh, you've got to have discernment to say what's going on in the lives of people whom I'm going to be teaching. Because God, I want your word to make a connection to those people. Yes. So that your word will make, a, make a, a difference in their lives. It will not return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it out. You've got to discern the situation. You've got to discern the environment. God, is the room going to be too hot? Because if the room's too hot, people are going to get drowsy and they'll go to sleep. God, is the room going to be too cold? I'm glad I didn't hear any amens at that point because I was afraid of that one when I came to that statement. Uh, but, but again, I'd rather have a room cold than too hot. Why? Because again, if you get too hot, then it's easy to doze off. Need to be a little chill in the air so that we can stay awake in these times. But also, God, is the room too crowded? Brings up issues. Is the room too empty? Brings up issues to that. 
what's going on in the lives of people. How can I eliminate distractions so that we can focus on the Word of God and what He's saying to us? You've got to have a discerning spirit. What's going on in the environment? What's going on in the lives of people? So you can teach for transformation and out of the overflow of your life so that God will change the lives of people. It takes discernment to do that. Number four is dedication. You've got to be dedicated. Jesus has to be first in your life. I mean, you've got to be seeking your first love, who is Christ. You've got to be seeking the kingdom of God first in your life. Make sure if you're going to preach or teach God's word, you are dedicated to Jesus first and foremost. The concern of teaching, the call of teaching, number three is the consequence of teaching. And James makes that very clear when the consequence, he said, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's the consequence. The judgment is going to be different for you and for me because we teach or preach the word of God. I don't run from that. I'm not afraid of that. Just you just need to know that. That's the consequence of teaching. Now let me give you these words once you read. Number one is commitment. If you're going to teach or you're going to preach God's word, are you committed to Jesus? Are you committed to his church? Are you committed to his call on your life? Are you committed to being the person that God wants you to be so that your life reflects what you're teaching? Are you committed to Christ first and foremost? What is your commitment like? Number two, consistent. You've got to live consistent in life. Because there are going to be days where you speak in a class or I speak from this pulpit, God's going to use to touch the hearts of people who listen. But there are going to be days they're going to watch you living out the Word of God. It's going to speak volumes into their lives. Let me give an example. Somebody criticizes you, your ministry, your teaching, and somebody's watching you, how you handle that, and they just say to you, I was so moved to see how you responded to that person who was critical of you or your teaching minister to me greatly I saw the way you handled your rebellious son and you did so with compassion and consistency and with love it ministered to me like nothing else living consistent you're committed to Christ but you're consistent to him by what you say and the way you live it's critical when it comes to teaching number three compassion if you're going to be the teacher that God wants, you need to make sure you have a compassionate spirit. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, what? Had compassion on them. When the Apostle Paul planting churches, his missionary journeys, as he was doing that, he had compassion on the churches he planted. As you stand and teach or preach God's word, make sure you have compassion for people whom are listening to you. You love them. You want God's truth to permeate their lives. You want God's truth to bear fruit in their lives. Why? Because you have compassion for them. Number four is content. Make sure you're preaching or teaching God's word. The content matters. You're not entertaining people. It's not a Reader's Digest thing. You're teaching or preaching the word of God to people. I want to stand before God when that judgment happens. Of him to say, you never shied away from saying Jesus is the only way to be saved. You never compromised that truth. You, you never compromised that the Bible is an errant, infallible, authoritative. You always said the Bible is the living word of God. You always valued the sanctity of life. 
for the unborn, but also for the aged in life. You valued life. You always valued the family as God's word defines the family. You held up the high standard of marriage as God did. So I always want to stand before him and say, God, I never compromised the truth of your word. I was faithful to that. Make sure you do the same thing. Content matters. And then number five is conviction. Folks, there ought to be some things we're convicted about when it comes to teaching, preaching God's word. I would just encourage you, be convicted. Don't just tickle ears. Be willing to step on people's toes. Starting with your own, then to other people. Because if we, have some, we ought to have strong convictions about the truth of God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, we should have no apologies. This is the word of God. And we're faithful to him and faithful to the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach or preach with conviction. Because one day we're going to stand before him. We're going to give an account. And the judgment is going to be stricter for those of us who teach or preach the word of God. Now I want us to bow together for a moment. And I'm going to invite us as we bow to stand to our feet for a moment. You have a responsibility as you listen to the word of God as well. You say, what's my responsibility? It's, it's, to, it's to hear the word and to do the word. Yes. Uh, you have a responsibility to encourage those who preach or teach the word. And so I want to encourage you today in the room, those who are watching this message. I've said several times in this message, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so I'm just asking you to respond to the word. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't know Christ, you've never surrendered your life to him. I appeal to you right now with conviction that you would surrender your life to Jesus. I surrender all, meaning you'd surrender your life to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, you love me. You gave your life for me. I've sinned and disobeyed you. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved and redeemed. And right now, Lord Jesus in this room or wherever I'm at around the world, I turn from my sin. I put my trust in you to be my Savior. Call on his name. Experience salvation, redemption, transformation. I want to encourage you as well, if you've never been baptized as a believer, it's believer's baptism. It's biblical baptism. And we want you to come forward this morning or let us know on a platform you're watching that you need to be obedient to Jesus in baptism. He saved you, but you need to share your testimony with other people. And part of that is being baptized as a believer. To say, I'm not ashamed or embarrassed of him. I want people to know Jesus is the Savior and Lord of my life. And that starts here today. And so I'm just encouraging you in this room, if you need to know Jesus, you need to follow him in baptism. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing. I encourage you to step out and start walking forward. One of our ministry team will be here. We'll have prayer partners on the sides as well. We want to minister to you and come alongside you. And then I just want to encourage you all over this room. You need to join the fellowship of this church. This is a great church to join and affiliate with. Why? We're serious about worshiping Jesus. We're serious about teaching the Word of God. We're serious about having a mission to the world. This would be a church you'd want to connect with for those reasons. And so I just encourage you, even this morning, if you need to join this church, slip out and come forward because we want to celebrate with you and help you know what it means to be affiliated with this church. And then this morning, if you just need to come and get on your knees and pray.
and just say, God, you've called me to be a teacher and I want to take that responsibility serious. God, I sense you're calling me to be a teacher, a preacher of your word. I want to take that call serious. I need help in that. I just encourage you to obey the leadership of Christ as well. And then I want to ask you in this room to do one other thing. Your teacher is here in this room who teaches you the word of God week in and week out in your connect group, in your small group. When's the last time if you went to your teacher and just say to him or her, and you look at this person in the eye and say, I just want to thank God for you. You spend hours every week preparing and praying and planning to come and teach. And I just want to thank God that you teach us the word week in and week out with conviction. The content is there. You do so with compassion. I want to thank God for you. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. That's priceless to people who teach. And I just want to encourage you today. I know this is a big room. But if your teacher is here, during this invitation, you can go to him or her and just say, I just want to say today before this service is over, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because God's using you. Thank you for following his call and being obedient. I understand the judgment's going to be stricter. But thank you for serving well. What a glorious thing that would be in this service. See people moving all over this worship center. Just saying thank you to those who teach or preach the word of God. I surrender all. Will you do that today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, next week, your, your word, your will, we're going to talk about the tongue. But Lord, today you want us to focus on those who teach or those who preach. I pray for people to get saved today. I pray for people to be obedient in baptism. I pray for people to join the fellowship of this church. God, I pray for the altar to be filled with people who are praying and seeking your face. And then, God, I pray there will be movement all over this worship center for people in classes, preschoolers, kids, students, adults, for those who teach week in and week out just to say thank you and I'm praying for you. What a glorious thing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You gave everything for us. And as this morning in this invitation, we desire to give everything to you. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.